0: I'm going to need you guys to talk me into why we should legalize sports gambling in Minnesota, because I got to be honest, I'm not really into it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not excited about it. I don't understand why we need to pass another vice. This is what we're accomplishing as a state. Now we're legalizing. We've already legalized recreational marijuana. Okay, and now we want to leave. What are we doing? What are we doing? I'm open to being talked into it, though. 651 If I had to vote right now, Jason, would you legalize sports gambling in Minnesota? I'd say no. I'd say no. And I'm not like a puritanical gambling is bad person. But in full disclosure, I am a cautious person with my money, so I don't bat. Why do you think this is something that's important to Minnesota? 651-461-9226. Give it your best shot. Talk me into why we should legalize sports gambling in Minnesota. The proposals are already out, already on the table. I would have thought the number one issue, the number one proposal we would see this legislative session would be figuring out how to clean up that law that was vague about the duties of school resource officers. Didn't you think that was the first thing that we would really hear from our legislature? Let's get. Let's get people back in uh, those schools. Let's get those officers back in. But instead, the first thing we're seeing is a new proposal that would legalize sports gambling. We touched on this a little bit with Pat Garofalo yesterday. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can find that uh, and the Odyssey app. But he said that he thought Senator Jeremy Miller, the Republican from Monona, was going to uh, lead the charge on this and indeed the first proposal is out and as always when it comes to gambling and as always when it comes to minnesota there are issues of trying to make sure the indian tribes who have exclusive rights for most gambling in our state that they're happy with it they're working to make sure the professional sports teams are happy with it because sadly in my opinion we've decided to turn professional sports into into a giant Las Vegas casino for all of us, for every game, every competition, every bet. Is this really what we want to be as a, as a state or as a country that we're just obsessed with gambling? I'm worried. I'm worried about the consequences of this. And frankly, I'm more concerned about lives being ruined by sports gambling being legal in Minnesota then I'm worried about marijuana being legal recreationally. So talk me into it. Or tell me I'm a genius. I like those calls, too. 651-461-9226. Easy source of tax revenue, says one texter. Just raise tax. We We seem to have no problem raising taxes in this state. If we think we need more revenue for something, I'd rather see us... Raise that revenue. I raise this today because I think there's this sort of media push to legalize it. Everybody seems on board, right? Who's against it? On, on, you know, you tune into ESPN or Fox Sports or you name it. Everybody's got their... Gambling-related shows queued up, their websites they're building, their promotions with, with this gambling website, that gambling web, website. There's certainly audience out there for that sort of programming. It, there's no accident that one of the largest networks of regional sports channels has naming rights from a gaming company. It does show that Americans are very interested in betting on sports, right? I'm worried. I'm worried about the lives that are going to be ruined. And I'm not opposed to gambling. I'm not opposed to the lottery. I'm not opposed to the card room at Canterbury and the uh, casino. I'm not opposed to people going to the casino. Something different. When you get an app on your phone and you can bet on every game, on every weird play, Not just here in the United States. You can bet on anything going on anywhere. So 24-7 you have live action. You have the app that has an incentive in a different way than, I mean, in a casino, your, your incentive to keep betting and keep betting is the visual stimulation. I don't know, man. I just think like how addicted I am to scrolling on Instagram and TikTok and then extend that. To gambling on sports. And it just seems like a, a recipe for marriages falling apart, for people stealing from their workplace. I, I'm more concerned about the ramifications of legalized sports gambling than the Powerball or scratch offs or pull tabs or any of the other things that people seem to pretend like, oh no, we're, we're worried about expanding gambling. But we're going to let people, like, fire up an app and gamble wherever they are? Now, you can do that. You can go offshore. You can do whatever. But why, are, why do we think this is important to sanction this, One texter saying, the reason I'm concerned about sports gambling is because I think middle schoolers can get into that stuff. Gambling occurs already with middle school age children, and when they gamble on sports... They walk down a primrose path. Six five one four six one nine two two six. I'm a no on sports gambling in Minnesota. And I know I'm sort of walking uphill on this thing. If you look at our neighboring states, they all have legalized sports gambling. If you live on a border city, this debate is sort of silly, right? If you live in Hudson, you can go across the river, no problem. I mean, if you live in Woodbury, uh, you can go across to Hudson, no big deal. If you're in Stillwater, you go, you know, I mean, so if you're in southern Minnesota, you've got options. So why should we be left out, goes the argument. Is that enough? Is that enough of a reason to do this. Bob is in Minneapolis. Let's talk to Bob on the CCO talk line, six, five, one, four, six, one, nine, two, two, six. Bob, I'm a no on sports gambling in Minnesota. Where are you?
2: Same. I, I, I appreciate your point of view, your perspective on it. I'm the same similar in that we don't need it. And it's okay that we're a state that doesn't have it. We don't have to be like all the rest when it comes to these kind of entertainment things. And I also think i well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I know when you say that, you have to say it out loud so people (laughs) know that you're not a conspiracy theorist, but it's very interesting to me, the state lately has been doing things that are not healthy for us, approving things that aren't healthy, marijuana, gambling, legalized gambling, liquor sales on Sundays. Now, there's probably great explanations for these things, but I'm thinking more along the lines of, what why are these the priorities of our state mm, mm-hmm. when there's a lot of other things that are, are better
0: for us uh, than, than this? And so that's where yeah. I'm at. On well, it. I, I Again, think it's the, the gambling, don't you think, Bob, it's because if you poll Minnesotans, people want this. They say they want it. You, your view, my view on gambling in Minnesota is for sure in the minority. It just is. Well, I don't know that yeah and you don't know that, yeah I do I mean, <laughs> the polling the, the, the i mean if we believe the polls, but I think uh the politicians are uh, pretty smart about that stuff, and part of the reason the the these things have become you know a cause for politicians, sure like yeah i scarce i i share some of your skepticism on like who's making money on this stuff i I don't know if it's our state raps that I'm worried about, but uh, I am worried about if, if the, the, public, the motivation, you know. But if the but if the public
2: wants it, Jason, then why isn't it done?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, because if, the tribes and think, because the tracks. People and, want it. Yeah. All right. Fair enough, Bob. Thank you. There goes Bob. 651 461 Let's talk to Rob in New Ulm. Rob, thanks for calling CCO. What do you think about sports gambling? I'm a, I'm a no right now.
2: I'm 100% on board with you. It has to be a no for the state. There's no good that could come out of it. Uh, I agree with the last caller. I think the polls don't reflect the true nature of what Minnesotans want. I believe that the people who want it are willing to poll for it, but uh, essentially the people that don't want it aren't going to be, they're not at the polls. Uh, I have to believe that. I was just in western Minnesota earlier this week. I think, Rob, I
0: think you guys towns. think that people are more innocent than they are. I, I really think that people do say, like, do they fully understand the ramifications? I don't know that they care. I think they they see it as a freedom issue, which I understand. You, you say, like, look, I'm an adult. I have the ability to make a choice. We all think we can control ourselves, even though maybe we can't. And uh, it seems like fun, so people want it.
2: I, I get that point, but uh, I, would, I would argue that it's just like raising a child just because it's there and they, you can allow them to do it. There are certain things we don't allow for certain reasons, and I think overall the state would suffer. We'd continue to pour that money that's made by gambling back into helping broken homes and families and all the other things that come with, uh, yeah. with uh, yeah. gambling.
0: Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. 651 Lots of text calls lined up, too. We'll take more of it as we talk sports gambling. I'm against it. I'm open to an argument. Uh, so make it. Let's hear it here on CCO. Sports gambling will be a huge issue at the legislature again this session. Minnesota polling indicates it's popular. I'm not into it. Maybe it's because personally I'm not a gambler. I have no interest in it. But as I sit back and think about our state, I find it concerning. Lots of good texts at 651-461-9226. There's no reason Minnesota should not have sports gambling, says one texter. We're the only state in the area without it. rest of the states seem to be doing just fine with it. The question is, are they? New Jersey, legalized sports gambling in 2018. Inquiries to the Council on Compulsive Gambling, the help hotline they had, CNN says that those calls are up 60%. I mean, don't you think we're going to see a lot more divorces from people hiding their spending from their significant other? We're going to see more embezzling. All these advertisements that come up, oh, bet, you know, make your first bet, we'll give you $10. And then the app just kind of tells you more and more and more. In 2020, 5.7 million Americans were uh, considered to have a gambling disorder. But the reality is, according to the UCLA Gambling Studies Program, We don't really know a lot about gambling disorder. Part of it is it's embarrassing once you gamble so much that you are in trouble. You don't like to talk about it. And part of it is we just haven't had it legal. One texture. are you aware there are casinos right now in Minnesota? I am aware of that, but come on. I think all of you who want sports gambling legal in Minnesota, you know that this is significantly different than getting in your car or getting on the bus and going to Treasure Island or Mystic Lake. The fact that it'll be in the palm of your hand is different. I'd like to see some hard data on negative social and economic impacts from other states where it's legal. I think that's key in making this decision. I agree, but we don't have much time. I suppose that's why I'm not that into it, right? Like I guess if I were to describe my attitude on this, I'm not opposed for life. I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced. This texture. Jason, if you believe this, then no one in Minnesota should be allowed to drink alcohol, smoke or gamble or own a gun or eat anything unhealthy. Flying is bad for the environment. I, I I understand that viewpoint, that we are allowed to drink alcohol. And much like alcohol, you can gamble in a responsible way. So as an adult, you should be able to make that choice. 38 other states have said, yeah, you, you, you should be able to make that choice. Why have we not gone along? Well, it's mostly... But my... my reason for being hesitant is different than the reason we don't have this. The reason we don't have this is because the Native American tribes have an absolute handle and control over gambling in Minnesota. And our horse tracks are on the verge of being put out of business because there's only so much money for people, uh, discretionary money to gamble. And because Ah, uh, people are well. Frankly, sports gambling illegally—you know, using out of state or overseas or whatever sites—there's uh, less money to go to the track. And I'm not super interested in picking a winner. Do we want? Who do we want to win? At least the tracks we know are here in Minnesota. Who do you think is going to make the money off this sports gambling stuff? It's going to be DraftKings and big time, big time out of state technology companies who are really going to be making the money here, Dan. I understand the liberty argument. Well, they'll be making the money, but they'll still have to pay taxes in the state, and it's that capturing that tax revenue. That's I
3: think the well, biggest driving yeah. force behind all yes. this. Yes, because here's the here's the the unspoken sp- secret that everybody knows. This is already happening. It is. People are already gambling in a lot of different ways here in Minnesota, and all of that revenue, all of it, yeah. is going out of the state. Not a bit of it is being captured by the state. Yes. So it's not like we're going to suddenly legalize gambling and people are going to go from zero to 60 miles an hour in terms of gambling. There's a lot of people already gambling. For in this sure. state,
0: But there are a lot of new business that would come in. That's the whole premise of legalizing. Sure. That of there would be there new. Would. Now, and they'd, they'd all have, have to, to
3: pay taxes here in Minnesota. The
0: estimate is that we would make $60 million a year in tax revenue. That's not nothing. That's not nothing. Is $60 million worth what the cost of this will be? Again, I'm not convinced. Keep weighing in at 651-461-9226. We'll revisit some of your texts throughout the show. So keep it coming. But first, we're going to take a break. And then we will talk with the brand-new president of the Minneapolis City Council. So interested, frankly, who on earth would want to be in charge of this group? Elliot Payne will join us in studio next here on CCL. I love this state. I love our community. I cannot imagine wanting to run for public office. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard enough talking to you guys every day based on the tax. That not you, Dan Cook. I mean, you know. Oh, I know. So why would a self-described nerdy engineer not only want to run for the Minneapolis City Council, but want to be its president? Uh, he is one of the most interesting political uh, leaders in our community right now. And Elliot Payne is with us in studio today. Elliot, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Glad I, to be here. I'm just so fascinated in kind of your journey and how you ended up at uh, City Hall. And then now, when you look at this group, and as as a outsider watching, you think, there are a lot of interesting personalities on the City Council, like trying to balance all of the needs of making people heard and making the community heard and all of this i just think it's so interesting are it's not too late you can step down if you want <laughs> no
3: i don't think i'll be doing that
0: anytime soon <laughs> why did you want to be the council president
3: you know there's a there's a choice that you're making every day every day you wake up and you're deciding to either lean in and and and, and take on the world or maybe sometimes you're needing to lean back and i think that comes in seasons right and this is a season where I really feel like I need to be leaning in. Um, you know, if if you want to run for elected office, but you don't want to carry a heavy burden with that choice, maybe you need to make a different choice. And so one of the reasons I ran for president is, you know, that I care really passionately about the city. I care really passionately about the future of safety in our city. I care very passionately about the future of workers in our city and I want to lean into that, and there's a lot of challenges to navigate in that.
0: Uh, one of one of my followers on Twitter asked how your experience as an engineer colors your approach in city hall. I thought that was an interesting question. Yeah, that's
3: a great question. Uh, you know what's interesting about engineering is you, especially I, I was a mechanical engineer, and that's a field that's actually extremely broad. So you don't learn the specifics of how to program a robot when you're in school, but you learn kind of a methodology and a way of thinking that helps you break things like big, complex challenges down into kind of smaller Hmm. problems that you can actually kind of wrap your arms around and solve. And then you build up to the big, complex solution. And
0: so I
3: kind of take that way of thinking into my work every day.
0: Where are we as, as Minneapolis? Are we in the breaking down phase to a, or are we in the building up?
3: We're in the building up phase. That is a for sure. And I think that anybody who's lived in this city uh, in recent memory, but especially since 2020, has profoundly felt what it feels like to be broken down. Hmm. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about about this moment is we're, we're in a building phase. We're in a healing phase. We're in a um, figuring out how to be Minneapolis again phase.
0: Elliot Payne is the president of the Minneapolis City Council. Let's talk about safety. You brought it up. It's for sure uh, a question that I think residents and non-residents are, are concerned about. Um, you know, this week, some good data came out on violent crime I think it's some of the non-headline grabbing crime that affects people livability, that has people concerned about coming down. Can we really make a dent in that type of stuff? Not, I'm not talking about homicide and, you know, I, there are other forces that drive crime besides whether or not you have policing. No, that- And I'm concerned that with only 565 officers, that we don't have enough people to kind of really get after some of the the robberies and the livability stuff.
3: That's a actually a great expression of this idea of breaking things down, right? I think that in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the uprising that followed from that, um, we were talking about safety as this big, giant problem, mm. and we weren't breaking it down into its component parts. And some of those component parts are around you know what are the actual challenges that we're facing on the ground? Um, crime is a lot of things. It can just like you said, it can be very severe and violent, but it can just be those everyday livability issues that make you wonder, oh, do I want to go downtown today for dinner, or would I rather, you know, stay home and order delivery? Uh, you need to be able to break it down to understand what you, what the what the challenge actually is, and I think that one of the big challenges really is kind of emerging as a result of, you know, setting aside even just the intensity of what we lived through with the uprising, just the simple fact that so many people have been working from home means you just have less people downtown. That means you have less eyes on the street. And so when you start understanding that um, there's these compounding factors, all that are intersecting with each other, you can actually start coming up with solutions to address some of those. So for instance, downtown is unique in that it has the safety ambassador program that's funded through uh, a lot of the large um, buildings that yeah. exist down here through a special tax district. But that safety ambassador program, their eyes and ears on the street, they're a helpful, awesome. friendly face. It's awesome. I love those guys. Right. How yeah. do we have that in the rest of the city? So the, one of the big things that we passed in the city council in our budget this year was to expand that program to other parts of the city and other commercial corridors, because mm-hmm. a lot of it is just having the eyes and ears on the street so that people feel safe and feel that presence.
0: Elliot officers have said that they feel abandoned by the city council specifically. Um, you know, if the city council, well, let me ask it this way. Do you support Minneapolis police?
3: I support an accountable police department that is delivering constitutional policing, keeping our community safe and being really invested in supporting our
0: community. Absolutely. So when officers say that they don't feel supported, well, you know, if you had the public works department saying that they feel like the city council doesn't support them, I think it wouldn't be so difficult for city council members to say, well, of course we support the public works department. Why is it so hard just to say, yes, I support Minneapolis police? And we want it to be better. I think that, again, we need to break things down. We can't just have these overly simplified
3: conversations. Are you pro-police or anti-police, right? When we're saying policing, one of the things that's really important to recognize is that it's a very traumatic job to be a part of. And then it feeds to this cycle of trauma. Uh, You know, We're dealing a lot with a lot of these PTSD claims. And I was meeting with um, some of our advisors around how we should be navigating these PTSD claims. Um, This was an attorney who is former military um, served overseas and he was comparing what was it like to be a Marine serving overseas versus a a police officer Mm. and a a Marine serving overseas and Marines are kind of a, a heavy combat part of our military. Right. Yeah. But even in combat, they happen in these big spikes or you actually have these big times in between where it's actually a lot of sitting around. If you're a police officer you're going in call after call. You and and, and, yeah, there's and the no example break, right? no. there's no break. And right. the example he used is like every police officer has had to hold a dead baby at some point. Hmm. When you think about yeah. the profound impact that that's going to have on somebody's psyche, on how they're going to show up, and then you have to go to the next call after experiencing something like that. Uh, we that system of policing is not healthy for the police officers, and it creates a lack of health for our community, and so. I don't support that system of policing that's asking people to run at the worst aspects of our society and gives them no support and no space to process and heal from that. And it's leading to a lot of these secondary and tertiary impacts on our community, like, you know. A lot of domestic most,
0: violence exists. Most officers it. would agree with you. Right. This, the, the way they're doing it isn't how they want to be doing so it. So
3: I, I don't support a system of policing that forces police officers right. to have to show up in that way. We need to rethink the entire system of policing so that we are giving that space for officer health and wellness and that we also have the right and appropriate first responder for the other types of emergencies that happen. We don't send the police to a a, a house fire We don't send an ambulance to a bank robbery. We need to match first responder with the need and have the right appropriate uh, first responders to respond.
0: Elliot Payne is with us, the city council president. The first uh, policy issue brought before your city council in the first meeting was a ref uh, was a a statement, a vote uh, to talk about what's going on in Israel. Is that the right topic? Or the right thing to be the first thing that you guys are dealing with, or does that really matter? So there is a tradition
3: of the first meeting of the year to be more of a, of a um, celebration, frankly, more 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 of a ceremonial celebrate uh, a, a meeting, and you don't usually take business up on the first meeting. Um, the reality is that that ceasefire resolution was being worked on towards the end of the year last year. And just because of the council calendar, there was a missed opportunity to get it, uh, on the agenda. And the, the, the bombing is still happening right now, whether our council calendar cares about that, whether or not our tradition of keeping the first meeting ceremonial, we have to ground ourselves in the humanitarian crisis. That's actually unfolding in front of us and actually, um, respond to that proportionally. Right. Uh, This is a very disproportionate humanitarian crisis that's happening. Me, on a personal level, would I have preferred to have uh, had the focus on me for my first meeting for president? Sure, why not? But you need to step outside of those personal interests and recognize the weight and gravity of what's happening in the world and recognize that what's happening in Gaza is affecting us right here in Minneapolis. Uh, Just over the Christmas break, um, there's a mosque in my ward that got uh, shot at. There's Islamophobia that's unfolding in our city. There's anti-Semitism that's unfolding in our city. And it is the right responsibility for city council to speak up against that type of uh, activity that's happening in our city and to recognize what is the source of that. And so I think we we need to get this right. The reason that we forwarded it to our committee through our standard process of governing is so that we could have a public discourse about this.
0: Is it right? For the city of Minneapolis to say that the U.S. should stop giving military aid or financial aid to Israel?
3: I think it's absolutely appropriate for all levels of government to engage with all other levels of government. I'm constantly working with our partners at the county and the state as it, respond, as it relates to our homeless response. Well, nobody we would question to,
0: that, but I think people are questioning why anybody would care what the city of Minneapolis City Council has to say.
3: That's, that, 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 that sounds right on its face, but you have to recognize that in a democracy, there are mechanisms so that individuals can voice their opinion at all levels of government. And we at the local level are the most accessible form of government. And we are hearing from our constituents the pain that they're experiencing yeah. watching this conflict unfold. And they feel helpless. And one of the minimal things that we can do as their local representatives is to amplify their voice and make sure it's heard by the right levels of government. So I think it carries weight when a local government passes a resolution that asks our federal leaders to think differently about their foreign policy.
0: What is one thing that you wish the city, the media were talking about as far as something that is going to be part of your agenda here in the city council?
3: You know— When I ran in 2021, so much of the oxygen was taken up about policing and funding of policing and who stood on what stage when. Um, And there was a ballot question that was really, really, really um, intense in 2021 around the future of policing. There was another ballot question that didn't get as much attention, and that was around our form of government. And so the, the Department of Public Safety ballot question did not pass in 2021. The uh, strong mayor form of government did pass in 2021. And we're now learning that that was a much more profound impact on the day to day reality of what it means to live and work in Minneapolis. And it's something that's not paid attention do you to. You want to a roll lot.
0: it back or change it?
3: I think that what we need to do is recognize that the voters did decide that that's, this is the form of government that they want. So that means that we need to make it a very strong form of that government, a very effective form of that government. And we need to really define what the role of city council and mayor is under this new
0: structure. Uh, We will talk again. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your thoughts. We we're we're I I don't want to say we're all cheering for you, but I'm cheering for you because the success of this city is key to the success of all of us and the success of the state. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me on. Elliot Payne from the Minneapolis City Council, the president. We'll be back in just a minute on Drive Time. Well, we went a little late with the council president because I thought that was important. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like to listen back to any of it, check it out on the podcast. You can get us on the Odyssey app or wherever you enjoy podcasts. Coming up after the news, a local chef who fled her native country, fled just absolute chaos, came here. For a second chance, and now she owns her own restaurant. Uh, It's getting huge critical acclaim, too. Should be good stuff Uh, when Soleil Ramirez joins us next.